You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Tech Fan Podcast 207. Some cool things from Holland Computers, Microsoft, and much more. This episode, Tech Fan Podcast. And it is Tech Fan number 207. I'm Tim Robertson, and I've got David Cohen on his uh, iPhone, I take it. Lousy quality, coming through. <laughs> oh, we can hear you. I guess that's the important thing. Well, yeah. only if we want people to hear you, though. I mean, it depends on yeah. what you say, really. That's right. And if anybody says that um, I sound better than normal, I'll be very upset. <laughs> So, oh man, what a day so far. Uh, I feel like I've been sitting in this chair for hours and it's only been a few hours. <laughs> Get yep. it. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyways, so what's going on with technology with you this week, David? Why aren't you on your regular uh, setup? Well, so my company's just moved uh, and we've not moved very far. In fact, we've moved to a very technology focused area, a place called Media City. Here, um, it's probably about two miles from where we were before, and the BBC are right next door to us. Uh, and this is an area where they do basically, it's been set up as a whole load of studios. I'm, I can look out from from the office I'm in now, and I can see the um, street set of one of the one of Britain's most popular soap operas, Coronation Street, which is filmed just across the water from me. And um, so, this is a kind of a really techy, high tech area. Um, for media production and TV and video and that sort of thing. But unfortunately, we've moved into service offices, and you know how that goes. Um, Nothing is quite working the way you wanted to when you first move in, and the space you have is not quite what you expected it to be, and then you've got to try and figure out how you're going to do everything. And I I have just struggled this afternoon to find somewhere quiet to to, uh, get on to you, and certainly I haven't got anywhere where I I can use a laptop and get on the Internet at the moment so um the iphone it is we make do with what we have to right indeed yeah and like i've said many times there's no rules to podcasting i mean no you you make do with what you got sometimes yeah so anyways um quite a bit going on with me actually Uh, i don't Mm -hmm. know if you listened to the my mac podcast this week uh, but they had a a big announcement and uh, we could talk about it here on this show as well um, they had a person on named Mike Potter who does for you for for Mac Eyes Only that podcast, mm-hmm. and yeah. he is putting on an event in Woodstock, Illinois area called Mac Stock. And you're breathing really heavy right into the mic. Not that I don't mind. I'll stop, I'll, I'll stop breathing. Can, can you stop breathing, please? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, the the he's putting on this event on June twentieth. Uh, called Mac Stock, and it's kind of trying to fill a void of the social gathering and and meeting other Mac users, other Apple users, but this time in the Midwest rather than all the way in San Francisco. And because of the yeah. proximity to Chicago, it's very easy to get there as well. So yeah. I, I think it's a great idea. Um, I learned about this myself uh, last week, 
And I'm kind of looking forward to uh, learning even more about it and attending because I am indeed attending. Guy and Gaz are both going to be there. Um, maybe we can figure out a way to get you there as well, David, but it's not looking good right now. No, it's it's a long way. <laughs> and, and you um, just moved. You just bought a new I car. I just moved house. Yeah, funds funds are tight at the moment. Unfortunately, I did look into it, but uh, at the moment, I'm not I'm not expecting to be able to do that, which which is a shame because I always enjoyed meeting up with you guys when I came out to Mount World. Yeah, and I'd it, it's been a while since we've actually seen each other in person. It would have been great, but yeah. we'll, we'll work on it. Maybe there's a way we could finagle it somehow. But at the moment, it doesn't look like David will be there. Uh, I am going to be there. Uh, they've got a lot of speakers. Dave Hamilton, uh, Gene McDonald, Julie Cool, um, Allison Sheridan, Guy Searle is going to be a speaker, Chuck Joyner. Uh, and I'm going to host the roundtable Q&A session at 1 o'clock. So should be fun, I think. Yeah, yeah, very good. I'm looking uh, any forward idea, to any idea? Any idea how many people they think might attend at this point? In terms of, in terms not speakers, but but the kind of regular yeah, guys. I, no, I don't know. No, no. I know that they're doing pre-order sales for tickets. So if you want to buy tickets, uh, they're cheaper right now, and they're going to be cheaper until I don't know a couple of weeks from now or something. Right now, it's fifty-nine yeah. bucks to attend, uh, but it's an early bird special. They limited it to one hundred tickets at this price, and there's only sixty-seven available. So right. they're obviously selling it to somebody. And you can learn more about it at MacStockConferenceAndExpo.com. If you can't remember that, just go to show notes for 207 for TechFan at TechFanPodcast.com, and I'll have a link directly to this. Yeah, very interesting idea. I think there's definitely still a place for people to be able to get together in person and and talk about these sorts of things. Uh, In fact, nowadays, more so than ever, uh, it's very easy, I find, when you're, you're just kind of browsing the internet and browsing the tech sites and everything, to get a very vanilla, generic view about what's going on, because yeah. it's a bit of an echo chamber. You just get one story picked up, and then everyone else kind of repeats it, and there's, there's not a lot of added value unless you go out and find it, whereas being able to speak to people in person and, and kind of raise particular issues with them, and there's something I always appreciated uh, going out to San Francisco, and it's good that it's not there, but it's somewhere else now. Yeah, and I, you know, it's the MacStock uh, Conference and Expo. I'm looking forward to being there, seeing a lot of the people I already know. I just the funny part is, um, three of the people that I know for a fact are going to be there. I just saw, and no, in fact, four of the people uh, that I just saw at NAB are going to be at this event: Dave Hamilton, Allison Sheridan, um, who else? Chuck Joyner, and uh, what's his name? Screencast. Um, why am I uh, blank uh, on his name? That's uh, Screencast Online. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy who lives here in, um, yeah, yeah. in Liverpool. Yeah. Why am um, I? I'm drawing a blank on his name. That's <laughs> PT. Wow. You've, you've infected me. Uh, Don McAllister. Wow. Don McAllister. Yeah. Of course, yes. I, I I literally just saw all four of those people uh, in person like three weeks ago in Las Vegas, and uh, it's always good to see people that you know that that kind of have the same passions that you do you know what i mean yeah and all of those people are great people it's always fun to see them and talk to them and uh to participate in an event and i'm kind of lucky because the thing that i'm doing they're all going to be on stage at the same time yeah that'll be fun excellent Mm -hmm. excellent anyways um 
you know, I think it was back in January that I got my Neo Geo Arcade that we've talked about a couple times on this show. Yeah. So the neat thing about a Neo Geo Arcade, David, is that <clears throat> it's a cartridge-based based arcade. Unlike, say, Pac-Man or Donkey Kong, where it has this board in it, and the board itself has the video game. And if you want to put another video game in its spot, you literally have to remove the entire arcade. The whole machine yeah. has to go, right? Yeah, it was like a like putting a new motherboard in it. Exactly. Well, with the Neo Geo, it's cartridge-based. So the motherboard itself stays there. It has a slot in it, and you just simply put a game cartridge in it. Now, these game cartridges are about the size of a uh, uh, a VHS cassette. But it's a lot cheaper to just swap out a cassette and change one little graphic on top of the uh, in their marquee, and you have a whole new video game. So arcade owners love these machines. Uh, new games yeah, because, will come out. You just swap a cartridge. Yeah, even even in a full arcade, all you had to do was was kind of if you wanted to put graphics on the side, you, all you had to do was put a new vinyl sticker over it, and you you could change the. Uh, change the personality of the console of the of the of the machine i guess i guess the only complication was if, if you wanted to play a game in there which had more controls than your default system had well but neo geo kind of limited it to four buttons right and so all the games that came out on the neo geo had to have or had to use four buttons or less which was smart um yeah and it's i don't even look at that as a limitation because i mean they had the same thing with the home consoles you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think the more buttons you add to an arcade, the confusing aspect rears its ugly head. Oh, my God, what do I push? Too many choices. And with a Neo Geo, you just got four. Mm -hmm. So I've been working on my Neo Geo this, uh, this past week, David. And I did two things to it to make it even a cooler machine. Want to hear what they were? <laughs> no, I'm not remotely no. interested at all. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So... When I got this, it had one cartridge in it. It was Bubble Bobble, uh, or Bust a Move is another name for it. And the yeah. kids liked it. I liked it. It was a fun game, but it, it wouldn't be my first choice as a you know big arcade machine. Just have that on there. Not unless I had like yeah. a, a great big room I, I, with twenty five machines. Then sure, it could be in there. But yeah, I, I guess I guess that's the sort of game you. I mean, nowadays you just kind of play hundreds of games like that on the iPad. You don't really exactly. need an arcade game for that yet. Right. So, because it's a cartridge-based system, I knew that there was other cartridges that I could pick up. And there's all kinds of sellers on eBay and Craigslist that sells the cartridges. <laughs> but I had been talking with a company uh, called Holland Computers. And... One of the things that they do, uh, they sell products online, obviously. One of the things yeah. that they do is support the Neo Geo and other older arcade machines. They they sell joysticks, buttons, motherboards. They sell all kinds of stuff. Right. But they have something that was really, really interesting to me, which is a 161-in-1 Neo Geo MVS multi-game cartridge. Now, it sounds kind of confusing, but let's just break it down. It's a yeah. cartridge, so it works in the Neo Geo, and it's 161 in one. What does that mean? Well, it means this one cartridge has 161 games on it. So instead of swapping this cartridge in and out with other games, single games, yeah. I can put this one cartridge, and I've got 161 games on it. 
So is that 161 variations of the same game, or is that 161 different games? Well, it is different games, although some of them are, uh, you know, like King of Fighters was a a big one on the Neo Geo. Well, games 4 through 24 are the different versions of King of Fighters. So you got it from the 94 version, the 96, the, you know, the 2001 version. Uh, And then there's different versions of those game with different characters and stuff like that. So you yeah. you do get a lot of stuff like that, uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But fortunately, if you like those type of games. Uh, but there's, I mean, for me, the game that I was really looking forward to playing was uh, actually two. Metal Slug, which is kind of a yeah. shoot 'em up game. I always liked it. Yeah, It's fast-paced. It's fun. Um, but the one that I was really looking forward to more than anything else was... Uh, um, Neo Geo Mr. Do and it's on here as well and I gotta be honest it's really nice to have this 161 in one cartridge that I actually have choice, the kids have choices on different games that they want to play. Cole for instance loves playing, uh, playing the fighting games against me or Brooke and he's right. getting pretty good at it to be a, he's a button yeah. masher uh, Alexander has just discovered um Games like uh, Injustice, Gods Among Us, yep. and uh, all of those sort of things on the iPad, you know, which are, are kind of the, they're the, they're they're much dumbed down compared to those original fighter games, but they're kind of like the spiritual successor. They are, and they, the graphics uh, are much yeah. better on the newer stuff. But the, yeah, but the, but the the um, I I know I knew people who used to play Street Fighter and um, Mortal Kombat and those sorts of games, and they were like demons at it because they knew all the combos, they could recognize what move you were doing against them and come up with a block and a counter straight away because they knew how to do all of that almost instinctively. Whereas, um, as you say, most of us just sat there hitting the buttons random, hoping to do cool stuff. You know, you know it's funny. Cole really liked the, the uh, bubble game. Yeah. And he played it quite a bit. And he was looking through the new games and he found Puzzle Bobble 2. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh! It's like it's Puzzle Bobble Dad, but there's a new one on here. Yeah, <laughs> a new one. Yeah, it's yeah. a new 25 year old <laughs> game call. Uh, but he was so happy. It's got different graphics and it plays a little different. And he was really excited yeah. to play it. I kind of like that. That he, you know. But this has a lot of stuff on it. Panic Bomber, Neo Bomberman. There's basketball, hockey, soccer. Uh, there's just a ton of games on here. It's 161 games. So is it is it running the original game code? It's not it's not because it's 161 games. It's not like some sort of emulation going on. It's actually running the original. It's game running code. the original game code. Yes, and okay. it's real easy when right. you when you turn the machine on. Now it's on a screen where it just has this big long list, and you could scroll through yeah. the list one by one by pushing down on the joystick. But if you push either left yeah. or right, you jump down to the next page, and you know. It, it works well enough in that situation. It's not the prettiest way to just, you know, go through different games, uh, but it works. And that's the important yeah. thing. So when you find a game that you want to play, you just hit the red button. That game launches. If you okay. want to go back to the list, you hold down the player one button for five seconds and it goes back to the list. Unfortunately, there's some games that you literally have to play the game. You have to wait till the game ends before you can go back to the main menu and choose another game. Yeah, because let's face it, these games were never designed to do what you're doing. No, it's not. No. But here's the yeah. thing. When you go on Craigslist or or uh, eBay, 
and you want to buy just a cartridge, I want to buy this game. Let's say I really wanted this Neo Geo Mr. Do. If I go on eBay, an original, there's a lot of bootlegs out there, by the way, but an original or a bootleg usually starts around $35 and goes up from there. And if you find one that's complete, that has a little artwork that comes with it, it could be over a hundred bucks. In fact, there's some games that are pretty rare that go for four, five, six hundred dollars, which is crazy. I don't care how fun the game is. I'm never going to spend that for one game. Yeah. The neat thing about this board, 161 in one games, is $89.95. Wow. Usually it's yeah, 120 bucks, but Holland sells it for 90 bucks, basically. So what's the um, what's the legality of something like that? I mean, is it is it effectively 161 games bootlegged into a single cartridge, or is it all kind of kosher and above board? No, I think it's probably not kosher and above board. Uh, but right. that being said, it, it's it's not my problem if it's <laughs> well, legal no, or not. Um, yeah, if it's commercial product you buy, then. Yeah. But I, I don't know what the legality of that situation is. I would imagine that with Holland Computer selling it, it's got to be okay. And this isn't the first type of game that's been done like this. There was 131 before. Uh, mm-hmm. I've seen some that was like 25 games in one cartridges. And they were sold on very respectable websites. Uh, I've seen these yeah, on this Amazon. Is, this is well known in the gaming industry. I, I've seen in I mean, in my trips to Hong Kong, I've seen... Uh, you know, uh, forty-five uh, Game Boy Game Boy games on right. a single on the single cartridge, uh, and a you know, similar sort of thing. You know, obviously, well, when many of these games were written, um, memory was hugely expensive, and so nobody would ever be able to put more than one game on a single cartridge. But nowadays, memory is dirt cheap, ROMs are dirt cheap, and also the the manufacturing plants to actually burn ROMs and create ROMs and cartridges and that sort of thing are a hell of a lot cheaper and more available than they used to be when you had to go and build your own plant to do that. Yeah. So um, obviously, uh, you know, there, there is now a capability of taking a lot of this old software, which is, doesn't take a huge amount of space up because the, many systems weren't terribly sophisticated and, um, and allow you to run, you know, many, many games in, in, a, in a much smaller space. That and it's not taking money out of anybody's pocket. These things aren't sold anymore. So. Well, it, now this is this is where it becomes peculiar, because yes, you're absolutely right. You know, you can't go out and buy new Neo Geo cabinets with with these games in anymore. However, um, the uh, if the if a company like Capcom is, is it Capcom who did it with the King of Fighters? Was it Kari or I don't know. Um, you know, but but let's face it. Even though you can't go out and buy a new, say, a Street Fighter Two game today, if you if you ripped off the Street Fighter Two code and started uh, selling it commercially, Capcom would come after you because they hold the rights to it, and they they would say, well, we have the rights to do what we want with it, including not sell it if we don't want to, and certainly we, they would want they wouldn't want other people profiting off their work. This is where it becomes a bit of a grey area because as gamers and as technologists. We don't want to see this stuff disappear and never to be seen again, except for uh, you know the occasional mention on a Wikipedia page. We want to be able to play it. Yep. Um, and, you know, when you when you look at stuff like Mame, where where the, the games are completely the ROMs the ROMs are running in an emulator, um, and and things like that as well, then it becomes even more dubious. Even though for most for most people, Mame the people aren't aren't aren't, aren't changing money's not changing hands. I guess. Uh, 
I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a tough one, really, and it's it comes down to what you do about these these kind of digital legacies. Should these things disappear just because somebody decided not to sell them? Well, I could tell you for some, you could buy a Neo Geo arcade cabinet for not a lot of money. Uh, I've yeah. seen uh, I've seen four slot games out there for six hundred bucks. I've seen single ones for four hundred bucks. Usually, they're not in the condition that mine's in. Mine's in just excellent condition. This cabinet is. Yeah. Um, but what it did for me is it kind of gave new life to an old arcade machine. I've literally yeah. got I don't want to say unlimited play on it, but I'm never going to get bored with it with 161 different games on there. You know, no. when I want to play a fighting game, I'm going to go to the Neo Geo now. And not only that as well. I mean, as you said, the the number of games available on these all-in-one cartridges increases over time. So if you ever did find yourself getting a bit tired of it, I'm sure by that time you'd, you'd be able to go out and buy a 250 or 300 game cartridge. Up until, you know... Depending on how they, many they've games. They've got everything on yeah. there. Yeah, up until they've got everything on there that was ever made for the system. Exactly. Do people still... Still code for the Neo Geo? Do it. Is there any homebrew or? If there is, I'm not aware of it. Games? I haven't. I right. haven't got into that yet. There probably. I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if there are, uh, yeah. because there's still people coding for the Atari 2600. Yeah. Uh, there's one guy who actually worked on the the actual Halo game for Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made a Halo for the 2600. I think it's called Halo 2600, and it's actual Atari 2600 code. He'll sell you a cartridge, but you could play it on his website as well. And it was actually right. pretty well done, to be honest. I mean, it kind of looked like Halo as, as much as you can make an Atari 2600 look like Halo. Um, yeah. It was kind of impressive, to be honest with you. I was like, check this out. I, mm-hmm. And yes, I know this is a, a, a technology show and we're, we're talking about video games that a lot of you don't care about, but you know, it's the technology behind these things that I find interesting as well. Absolutely, yeah. But that's yeah. not all I did with this cabinet, David. No, because you said there were two cool things. There was two cool things. Well, technically, I guess you would say ten altogether. Although the second thing is ten. And that's the buttons on my arcade. Now, these were the original plastic buttons. There's uh, four on each side plus player one, player two, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got two red, two yellow, two green, two blue buttons. And then the two white player one and player two buttons. Yeah. Was, that was boring to me. And plus, these buttons were getting kind of worn out. Mm-hmm. I replaced them. Now, Do they have lights in? I've never replaced arcade buttons. Never worked on an arcade uh, before. So this was all new territory to me. And when I opened up the control panel, it just swings down. There's two latches. Mm-hmm. You unlatch it, it swings down. And there's the rat's nest of wires and buttons, right? Yeah. There's only two buttons that go, or two wires that go to each button. And unfortunately, whoever worked on this before soldered half the wires onto the contacts instead of doing the little plug. Yeah. They soldered the wires on. That's annoying. Yeah, it was. Annoying. It's annoying in two respects. First of all, it's annoying for you because that makes it much less easy to work on the things. I mean, it must have been annoying for them doing that, soldering that tiny little space. <laughs> It's more space than you might think, but yeah. No, I know. I, know. I, mean, I don't know that, why I mean, you would do consi- that. Yeah, considering you know the size of most of our electronics nowadays, which basically you need a microscope and a special rig to solder things on, and um, you know these things, are, these are older arcade games are, are are miracles to work on because 
there's loads of space in there. I mean, it's real old school analog electronics almost, but uh, nevertheless, that's still a, a technical job, particularly when there's lots of wires going everywhere. Absolutely. So, like the player one button, the little character on the player one button was completely worn away. Um, yeah. And the buttons were just, they felt a little bit mushy to me. They didn't feel as mm-hmm. crisp as a, an arcade button should be. So, and, and you alluded to this just a second ago. Uh, I wanted to replace the buttons, and I did. And I went with a company called Ultimark, which is actually in the UK. And uh, I got their Ultra Lux Contemporary Arcade Push Buttons. These are LED push buttons. And I have to say, they look fantastic. But here's the problem, David. Um, <coughs> I, could, I could replace my arcade buttons, uh, cut the wires, put a new connector on there, and just plug them in, and I'd be good to go. But it, this was never set up to have an LED button on it, so there's no wiring up there in the control panel. Yes. Yeah, so, so how so how do you get how do you get power to the button? To well, the I, LED I, yep. I looked at each LED. I, I pulled one out and I actually looked at it, and it says it ran on five volts. So how am I going to get five volts up to my control panel, and how do I wire it? So I, I as I was sitting there pondering that, I figured, well, maybe I can get like a USB to five volt converter and just cut the USB cord and tie that in, but it's kind of kludgy, and that's not really what I wanted to do. I happened to be looking down, which I can't see very well from the control panel opening, at the power supply, and I swear I thought I saw something that says 5V on it. So I pulled the arcade out, took off the back, looked at the power supply, and the top two things, the top one was a 5-volt, and the one right below it was a common ground. So I literally ran wires from the five volt and the common ground batteries or power supply up to the control panel, uh, and I did a test. I just plugged in one of the LEDs to that cord that I just you know, cut in, yeah. and the and the light lit up. So that's what I did. I ran power cables from the power supply up to the control panel. I wire tire zip tied everything nice together so it looks good. And then I put the first button in all the way to the last, and then I just uh, went from one button to the next on the positive until I got to the end, and I did the same thing on negative. When you turn on the machine now, boom, the lights light up. Uh, If you look at the album art, if you go to techfanpodcast.com, look for this episode 207, you'll actually see a picture of my Neo Geo with the little control buttons, which David's already seen because I believe I sent that to you. Yeah. Hey, did you, by the way, Oh, before I get to that, uh, it took three days to get that package from uh, Ultramark coming from the UK. From the UK. Yeah. Three days. That's it. Mm -hmm. Do you have to pay duty? No. No. Nope. So, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's it's a small world nowadays. It's amazing uh, amazing what you can do. Where this new office we moved into has um, something I've not seen before, which is an Amazon locker. Oh really? So so yeah so and I of course I had to try it out so I immediately went onto Amazon to try and find something to buy, um, and yeah I had to deliver to Locker and it's very cool they uh, they they sent I, I'm a Prime member so they sent it via Prime so it came overnight uh, and the following day I had an email with a uh, um, a QR code in it. And uh, I just go up to the locker and I uh, I tell it I'm there and I wave my QR code in front of the uh, in front of the camera and uh, immediately a locker pops open and my package is inside. It's very cool. That's pretty amazing. I like that. Yeah, I like that a yeah. lot. And, and 
And something else that kind of a similar principle that I did last week, and I've not done this before, is I bought some Bitcoin using uh, an ATM. Hmm. So, what do you, you uh, use Bitcoin for? I haven't decided yet. <laughs> but I was walking. I was I was working in London. I'm walking down the street, and I see this. Uh, I think it was one of those e-cigarette stores, you know, that sells the, the vapes things. Um, anyway, and it had a Bitcoin ATM right in the front window there. So I thought, it's kind of interesting. How does that work? So I went and had a look. And this thing, basically, I mean, Bitcoin's all very slightly shady, isn't it? So you had to feed it cash. Uh, and um, it wouldn't take a credit card or a, or a debit card or anything. But the, the idea is you basically, you feed it cash. And you then, if you have a Bitcoin app on your phone, you wave the, um, the, the code in front of the camera again. And then it deposits that, 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 bit, the, that cash uh, converts it to Bitcoin, takes a, a nominal fee off, and then and then adds it to your Bitcoin wallet. If you don't have a Bitcoin app on your phone, it actually prints you out a, a Bitcoin wallet, which again is like a QR code that you can then feed into other things to uh, to show that you own the currency. So I, I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, it, I mean, it was like it was in kind of a sketchy place in London. Yeah, that's what. Of, yeah. Uh, you know, I did kind of think to myself, you know, um, I have a is, picture of my way. Is this a way? Yeah, this is this a way that that kind of all the all the locals kind of launder money? <laughs> yeah, you know, but, I uh, I don't know about Bitcoin. I like the concept. I just think the implementation and the people that are kind of in charge of it leave a lot to be desired. Well, I think the problem with it is it is meant to be an anonymous, untrackable currency, and of course that attracts a particular type of clientele. Which, you know, the, one of the one of the the types of people who who like um, untraceable currency is criminals. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, I think it would be cool to have kind of a worldwide standard currency that you know that's used more for exchange than anything else. Yeah. I think that yeah. would be a fantastic idea, but I don't, you know, what the UN's going to be in charge of it. Eh, I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't know. So anyway, if anyone's got any ideas what I can do with 30 pounds worth of Bitcoin, then let me know. Cause <laughs> I kind of thought oh, I've got to try it, you know, and I'll, I'll do something with it at some point. But at this point, <laughs> I can't have it thinking the, the problem is you look around and, and it's hard to find places that take Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I need is a is a store or a bar or something that takes Bitcoin so I can go in and spend it. So and anyone we, knows a place like that in Manchester, let me know. And with that, we're going to take a, a break, and David and I will be right back to uh, the Shady Tech Fan Podcast. This is Private Eye, Macintosh, and I'm here to tell you about a book written about me and my search for the Maltese Cube. Yes, it's a fine book. I think you should get it. Quiet, you. It combines technology, Mac trivia, action, murder, suspense. Oh, just tell them where to get it. I'll get to that. Romance, film noir detective fiction. I can't stand it anymore. It's called The Maltese Cube, and it was written by my Mac writer and podcaster Guy Searle. Find it on Amazon. It's only $2.99 and coming soon to the Apple's iBook store. Don't forget, it's The Maltese Cube and so inexpensive. You know you're not in it, right? I mean, the next one, right? Sure thing, Louie. You know, this could be the start of a beautiful friendship. Get the Maltese Cube on Amazon and soon in the iBook store. Back here on Tech Fan Podcast number 207, Tim Robertson, David Cohen. We'd love to get feedback from you. Real easy to do. Simply send an email to the show at 
techfanpodcast.com, the show, T H E S H O W, techfanpodcast.com, or you can go to techfanpodcast.com and leave a comment right in the show notes. And uh, we will read them here on TechFan. Hey, David, did you like my rainbow? I did. It was a long rainbow. <laughs> so this is the kind of neat thing that you can do with technology. Uh, was that last night? No, that was two nights ago. Uh, it was a couple, couple of days yeah, ago. Two- but it was kind of weird because, you know, I'd literally seen something similar the, the day before and snapped a photo of it. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and it, and it, it kind of it lined up very nicely. It did. So, so two days ago. Um, second oldest daughter and I, Brittany, uh, we needed to go out to the store <clears throat> and, uh, it was dusk. Uh, Julie was back home actually, uh, getting the kids ready for bed. And as we turn a corner, there's this massive rainbow and it must stretch for 20 miles. I mean, it's just huge. And it's probably one of the brightest rainbows that I've ever seen. I mean, when I first saw it, it was positively glowing, David. It was amazing. Mm. And my first thought was, I need to pull over and and look at this. You know, not just glance at it. So we pulled over and we were looking at it for a few minutes and we were kind of amazed by it. Because yeah, people think, oh, it's just a rainbow, so what? You know what? It's, it's something in nature that is just not seen very often. It really isn't. I mean, yeah. most people, when's the last time you saw an actual rainbow? Not just a kind of a fuzzy one or a little bit of one, an actual ground-to-ground, full-color spectrum rainbow. And that's what this was. So I actually, I pulled out my iPhone, and right before I started recording, we noticed a second rainbow was forming right next to it. That's right. A double rainbow. They'll do that if it's bright. Yeah. So I filmed this, and uh, as soon as I got done filming it, I actually texted that video over to David. So I'm in Michigan, he's in the UK, and within seconds of me seeing this rainbow, David now sees it. Yeah. And, and the, the, this is the funny thing, because about two nights before, I'd been driving. To, I have a, a a garage that I have all this stuff in that I've kind of cleared out from the house and from my office before we moved and everything. Uh, I'll talk about that in a minute, because that's a, a problem in itself. But I'm driving back from there, and it's early evening, and I see a rainbow, and I have my... <laughs> I have my my phone in a cradle on the dash, um, you know, got high up right on the top of the dash. So the camera sticking out the top is really easy for me to shoot shoot a picture. So I took a picture of this uh, of me sat in the, this traffic with this rainbow, um, and uh, and it was still there in my in my photo roll. So uh, when I got yours, I immediately replied back with mine. And the thing is, yours started on the ground and, and then kind of curved up towards the right, and mine was coming down from the right to hit the ground <laughs> on the left. So it looked like we had this big transatlantic rainbow going it, on. It was pretty cool. It <laughs> yeah. was actually pretty neat. Yeah. But uh, it's, that's but the miracle of technology, though. I, I can see something that is breathtaking and very rare. And I can literally take a picture or shoot a video with what's already in my pocket in a quality that is really, really good. I mean, I I looked at this video afterwards on my 27-inch screen, and it looks great, but it looks great on the phone too. And yet to be able to take that video, which let's be honest, we've been able to take video for a long time now, for years, right? But to be able to take that video and immediately share it with somebody 
thousands and thousands of miles away on the other side of an ocean, that's kind of yeah. special still. I I don't want to get to the point where we take that for granted without appreciating all of the technology that's involved from making that happen. And I mean, yeah. there's a lot of companies, millions, actually billions of dollars in infrastructure that's in place now that allows me to share that with you that quickly and at that yeah. quality. And we can't take yeah, that for right. granted, David. We just can't no. because it's it's doing a disservice to the people who help build it. Uh, and you know who's not taking it for granted? Sony. Because uh, do you see that report that Sony's profits are on the way up again? Yeah. They made a loss this year, but they're projecting a profit again next year. And apparently a good 20% chunk of their improvement comes from camera chips that they sell to smartphone manufacturers, including the iPhone, uh, the Apple for the iPhones. Yeah. Uh, and that, that comes from a, a smart acquisition they did a, a few years back when they bought Minolta. It, it's very smart, and it's very um, uncharacteristic for Sony as of late. But it's paying off yeah. for them. And I think they Absolutely. would still be well-served to get out of the, the the junk consumer electronic market, those products that they just cost nothing and... A thousand companies make them DVD, Blu-rays, and stuff like that. They they should just get out of that business. Let's let other companies. Yeah, I, I think I think anywhere where they're not adding value, you know, they need to take a long hard look at that. The, you know, the they're still plugging away making MP3 players, and why? I mean, right? You know, uh, what that that's a market that's that's kind of moribund at the moment anyway. Um, and even of the players in the market, the Sony ones aren't well regarded. Correct. So, uh, so why why continue to spend R and D money on on doing that? Doesn't make know, a lot of um, sense. It doesn't seem like you're going to come up with a new innovation that's going <clears> to <throat> revitalize that market. Not so, when every smartphone uh, in every single person's pocket can play music. Yeah, and good quality well, soon, music too. Soon, soon our watches will be playing music. Yeah, well, mine will. Yours won't. <laughs> I I put, I put a tweet up this week on Twitter on the MyMac one. That said, anybody else getting sick of all the Apple Watch news? I'm just tired of it. I don't care. And it's not that well, I did, it's not because I didn't buy one. I don't have any desire to buy one. It's just, I, I don't know. It's a first-gen product. It seems very limited in what it could do. And even though it's out there now, I still haven't gone to an Apple store and tried one on, nor do I even have much of a desire to do so. Um, I just can't imagine this in my life in any significant way that would be worth the money to me. I just it, well, so I don't, it doesn't, that's I don't get a, that's it. absolutely fine. It is very much an accessory. It's yep. not. It's not a must-have. It's not like the iPhone was, where you, you could immediately see that this was something that was a game changer. Right. It's very much an add-on to to what you already have, and some people like the look of it. Other people don't. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't. I don't think Apple expects it to be the next iPhone. Um, in in terms of completely dominating the market, what I what I have seen is people are saying basically if you if, you, if you're after a smartphone and you have Apple devices, then it's absolutely the one to buy. Um, I, I I've not seen anybody say say yet if you're after a smartwatch and you um and you have an Android phone, it's worth switching to an i to an I, iPhone to 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 use the watch. I mean, I, th I think that's very much the thing. It is very much an accessory. You know, um, I, and, I'm, you know, it's not just the watch. It's, every, it's the stupid stuff that covers it. Like, oh, look, Johnny Ives was at this fashion show in France with the iPhone or with the uh, iWatch. Ugh, really? 
that's what Apple is becoming now. They're they're going to fashion shows. Ugh. Well, yeah. you know, Get off my I, 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 think, <laughs> I think I think the fashion angle is something that Apple and the tech press are kind of learning their way around at the moment. Yeah, but I think this um, is who Apple wants to be. I think they want to be the company that's at fashion shows. I think they're at the well, company th- that wants to hire think, supermodels to show off their watches. I think they're the company who recognizes that the tech industry is fickle and you've got to diversify. And I think this is one of their attempts to diversify. It, you know, got it. You got you got to got to hand it to them for trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to they want to remain relevant in the long term, and they they recognize that everything they make has a ultimately a limited shelf life. Um, not not because. Not not inherently, but but just because at some it's point you can't make it any better. Yeah. yeah, at some point you can't make the thing any better than it is, and at some point you've sold one to everybody who has one, and at that point you need to be doing something else if you want to maintain your growth and your. Uh, and they proved that curve. with the iPod, and then and that's kind of the problem with Sony that they're still making the iPod, even though it's not yeah. the iPod. And Apple left that business because they saw the writing on the wall. Although they really didn't, because they still sell the iPod Touch. Yeah, and and but the thing is, they didn't leave the business, but the business left. Then the business moved on. The world moved on. Now they were still selling. And, and I, I, I remember they kind of knife the. the it, it's. I, I think they got out when they should have got out, and yeah, most rem- companies don't remember, do that. I remember at the height of the iPod when they were. You know, they've just had their quarterly results. When they were doing quarterly results of selling, they were selling 60 million, 80 million iPods a quarter. And people were saying, this is unsustainable. What What's going to happen? You know, Apple, they, they were saying Apple is not a sure bet because at some point everyone's going to have an MP3 player and then they're going to vanish. Yep. And they didn't because they diversified. They did something different. They did several different things. And I think the watch is just that cycle continuing. And the, 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 the really clever thing about Apple and the reason they're going to fashion shows and everything is they recognize rather than selling the same stuff to the same people over and over again, one thing you can do is you can sell different stuff to a different market. And I think the watch is an attempt to do that. You and know, it's they, not, not everybody who likes Apple stuff is going to buy a watch, but there's, they're hoping that there's plenty of people who maybe currently aren't interested or not, don't want an app, don't want Apple devices who see the watch and go, well, maybe I'll like those. Maybe I'll have one of those. Yeah, it, I don't know. Yeah. I'm it, a first, a first version of a product that costs that much money always kind of scares me. Because uh, number one, I don't want it tethered to my iPhone. I'd really rather have one that is not tethered. Yeah, that I I can use everything on it without without being tethered to my phone. Well, yeah, but the original the original iPhone was tethered to your Mac, and nowadays it isn't. You know, five well, that's what I mean, though. That's different. that's what I mean. This is a a, a version one product that uh, I'm just not going for. Yeah. So nothing wrong with that. Microsoft had their developer conference this week. Now this is weird. This, this is, is really, really weird, weird, isn't it? it I, they, some things came out of this conference that I was not expecting, and I'm still kind of scratching my head about. Well, I, I, in some in some respects, it fits with their strategy. So their strategy um, the, under the under this new CEO they have, uh, Satya Nadella, their strategy is 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 they want Microsoft products everywhere. They don't want to be 
just the Windows company that does stuff for Windows. Yep. And so instead what they're saying is, well, we, we do lots of things and we want those things to run everywhere. So we're not going to box ourselves into the only on Windows um, kind of, you know, we're not going to box ourselves into that into that space. We're going to going to be much more diverse. And and what they I think they tried to launch this week is the ultimate expression of that, which is basically they've said, okay, well, so if you develop Windows applications, you can compile them for Windows. Uh, and the Windows, the idea behind Windows 10 is it's one code base that can run an app on any platform. So it can run, if you, if you develop a Windows 10 application, you can run it on a PC, you can run it on a tablet, uh, or you can run it on a Windows smartphone. Um, and provided those devices are running their version of Windows 10, your application will run. Um, but what they also said is, well, well, what we'll also do is we'll let you compile your application and it will run on an Android phone or an Apple device. And they're and also they saying are, you could take your code from an Apple device or an Android device and recompile it in Windows for Windows. Yeah. Now, the reality of that is that what you're going to get is generic applications that kind of look the same across all those devices. Because Which is fine if you're a game maker. Well, it, I, I guess for or certain... Or Dropbox for certain, or Evernote or... Certain, well, look, for certain corporate apps, that's going to be brilliant because that means the the corporation concern can develop one app, have one programming team, and then deploy that app to multiple multiple platforms. Correct. Um, the, problem is, the problem is, is you know, like it's the old, the old phrase, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Right. You Those applications... It, it doesn't take advantage uh, of any I, of the sophisticated technologies in any yeah. one platform. Yeah, and you're also you're also beholden to the platform provider, who um, if they're smart and they want to maintain their competitive advantage, will probably do what they can to kind of stuff your apps up every time they make a change to the platform. And Apple's very um, good at that too. When they come out with new uh, iOSs, they're not so concerned about being backwards compatible with apps that haven't been updated since iOS three. They're no, willing they to let that they, stuff. They, yeah, they they say, well, here's the new code standards and it's up to you to make sure that your yep. app works and if it doesn't and and you know this is becoming an increasing problem as the app store is aging is that you know we keep seeing older apps that that have basically haven't been worked on for for a few years and they just eventually they stop working yep. and then it's kind of a big surprise when the developer comes back and updates them, particularly if they're corporate-funded apps rather than indie developer apps. Or it's a bigger surprise so, when someone buys one of those apps that hasn't been updated and only to find out that, oh, this doesn't work on my iPhone. That is a problem that the uh, that Apple, for all their improvements over the last few years in terms of how they do their software and services, really has not that's a, a, a nettle they've yet to grasp. But you can um, get a refund with your money now. You can get a refund. And, and actually, here in the EU, it's uh, now due to EU law, it's very, very easy to get, any, get it, a refund. Oh, it is here in the U.S. too. I bought an app that didn't work. Oh, and I am on hold from David. <laughs> it says right there, you have been put on hold. So I'm on hold from David on Skype. <laughs> what I would say... Oh, you're just going to go call. put me on... Oh, you had a phone call come in? I uh, had a phone call come in, and then automatically held the call. Gotcha. So, um, uh, yeah. But I, I had an app that I bought. It absolutely did not work. Uh, I filled out the little thing on Apple's page that says, you know, it didn't work. And within minutes, I got my money back. Minutes. Yeah. And I thought, that's the way it should be. That's exactly absolutely. the way it should be. Yeah. 
but a lot of this came because of the UK or the uh, the EU, and the that's EU. one of the things. The yeah, the, we, we, look, we've got an election here next week, um, and uh, the European Union is a, is a, one of the many topics of discussion about, among our politicians. Um, uh, and you know, it gets a lot of stick the EU here in the UK because uh, a lot many people don't vote for the European Parliament. Uh, and the way the EU is structured is they have a they have a parliament who are accountable to us, and then they have a thing called the European Commission, which are unelected and basically execute a lot of the um, European laws. And um, they are completely unaccountable, uh, and they they can quite easily dictate something that then basically all the countries are meant to abide by. And people resent that because often, as you might imagine. Um, things that they suggest that that, uh, the European Union should do that affect the whole of the European Union suit some countries better than others. So it's a a hot topic. But when it comes to consumer protection, I have to say they're normally pretty good. Yeah, and I have to say we could use a little bit more of that in the U.S. Uh, We used to have a lot better consumer protection here, um, but not as much as uh, we used to, unfortunately. Well, the consumer protection you have has has come about through... The uh, you know very public acts, actions of, of you know some very well known activists who who've raised you know the Aaron Brockoviches and the Ralph Naders of this world who've raised some some really really horrific issues yep. uh, and 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 have forced uh, America and, and its legislation to respond. But I, I think we all recognise that unregulated companies, if they can make a buck, they don't care even if it's killing people. So it does seem that way sometimes, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So before we wrap up this uh, episode of Tech Fan, I do want to remind listeners, if you want to hear more of me, you can listen to me every week on OWC Radio. Uh, you can find it in iTunes. And of course, you can go to blog.maxsales.com and find the show there as well. Uh, this week, I had um, currently my favorite author on the show, T.R. Edwards, or T.R. Edwards, uh, T.R. Harris. Uh, we actually talked about him back in January, David. He was the author that released an update to an ebook and added basically a whole second book to it. And, yeah. uh, you know, we talked about, we haven't seen that really before that someone could write a book and then come out with an update. And if you've already bought that book, you get a whole bunch of new content. And yeah. I, I, I love the idea. Um, thankfully it was a, a story that I've been immersed in for a few years now. So I've really enjoyed it. And I had the opportunity to talk to him. We talked for almost an hour on the on uh, OWC radio, and it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun interview. interview. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, we Very actually discussion. We actually talked for about another half hour after we got done recording. Uh, great guy, I, I really like him a lot. Yeah, and uh, I kind of hinted at this a little bit, you know, in the interview that I've tried to write a few books myself, but I've always come up short. But after talking to him off the air and on, and a couple emails back and forth, um, I've decided to give it a go again, David. Cool. Yep. So, so Stephen King, better watch out. You're gunning for it. That's all I'm saying. But yeah, I, I've I've committed myself to trying to write a book. Um, you know, I don't know about you, David. I always have ideas for stories in my head. Uh, maybe it's because I am a, a writer at heart. I just don't practice that. <laughs> I do podcasting yeah. and product reviews and all that kind of stuff in my free time. Uh, but I've always wanted to write. And I've had a couple different book ideas. And I've also had a couple, believe it or not, television ideas. Some scripts for television that I think would make a really cool show. 
And instead of going with some of my other ideas, I actually combined these two ideas I had. Uh, an idea I had for a TV show, I decided I'm not going to even try to do that because what the hell do I know about TV shows? And I'm just taking that same concept and I'm actually writing a book about it. Mm-hmm. And cool. yeah, so I'm going to, yeah, the only reason I'm saying this publicly is because I want to be kind of held accountable for why, where's this book you've been writing, Tim? Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, you, absolutely. So, so you could bug me about it on the show and I could give you updates. Either excuses on why I haven't done it and you could berate me for that or uh, how many words I'm at. So okay, so th- your, this your is assignment the- for this week is we want five <laughs> chapters by next week in the show notes. Uh, chapters <laughs> aren't aren't a good <laughs> indicator of how long something is. I, oh, I, I just know, started right. chapter yeah. three, to be honest with you, but I've yeah. only got – right now I'm at 3,175 words. Uh, so, so a few years ago, um, I was in an airport looking for something to read, and I picked up um, – one of those James Pat- James Patterson books. Yeah, this was this was before he started doing what he does now, where he basically turned himself into a brand and has somebody ghostwrite with him. Yeah. You know, it's always James Patterson with, and you know, you know, James Patterson kind of looked it over and maybe had the story idea, and then the other guy did all the grunt work. Yep. So this was this was before that when he was actually writing himself. <laughs> and I'd never seen a book like this before because I picked it up and started flicking through it. And it was like hundreds of chapters, and each chapter was like two or three pages. And I thought, why would you structure it like this? What What's the value of breaking it into, you know, two or three pages of, of kind of story? It right. was really odd. I, I, I didn't get it. And well, it I can really tell you what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm 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 looking at each chapter as a as what he said to me, uh, T. R. Harris, dur- Tom, during this interview was that he has a scene in his mind and he plays out the scene and then he writes the scene and that's how he yeah. does his stories right yeah i've never thought of it that way and it really kind of helped get me over the hump of what i was trying to do so my chapters are nothing but scenes so wherever that scene happens to end that's where the chapter ends and that's right. that's that's how i'm kind of structuring the story so some chapters, some scenes might be much longer than other ones. Other ones might be just a couple pages because that's the scene. And then when that scene is over, I'm going to another scene, either a different place where the character's okay. at, or we jump to a different character, or maybe we jump back in time a little bit for some you know, pre-story to, to get people caught up to date on what's going on here. Um, so that's how I'm looking at chapters. It's a scene. And uh, okay. yeah, his advice really helped me. It, it it kind of get, got me over the hump of what I was trying to do. And I also want to try to look at each scene as it has to end, not necessarily on a cliffhanger, but something that brings you, you want to get to the next scene. Right. And, uh, yeah, his advice really uh, kind of inspired me to 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 try to do this again. I have no well, idea how long it's going to be. Yeah. You can't get beat getting some notes from somebody who's actually done it and, and been successful. Uh, and been successful, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And pushes you. Cool. You know, he, he yeah. sent me an email. He says, now get to writing that book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir, I'm yeah. going to get right on that. So, you know, David will be the only person, maybe my wife as well, um, that's going to see this as an in-progress type of thing. And then if I ever actually do finish it, I'll, I'll push it out there on Amazon. Cool. 
So with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. We'll be back next week, of course, with uh, episode 208. We'd love it if you sent feedback to us. David and I love reading your feedback. Uh, we do. The show at techfanpodcast.com. Please send us feedback, even if it's just, yeah. uh, hey, enjoying the show or... Uh, what's going on with this? Or I'm getting an Apple Watch and Tim's stupid to say what he did. Uh, we don't care. We just <laughs> love feedback from you guys. The show at techfanpodcast.com or go to techfanpodcast.com and leave a comment. If you are an Apple user or an iTunes user and you manage your your uh, podcast through iTunes, go to the iTunes store and leave a review on iTunes. That would really help us a lot because the more people that yeah. do that... Uh, the more attention it gets and the more listeners we'll get for TechFam. Even if you want to say, for God's sake, why can't David Cohen sort out his comms and his infrastructure so he can do the show properly every week? I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) And last but not least, uh, make sure you're following us on both Twitter and Facebook. We're TechFam Podcast at both places. Uh, Something kind of cool I posted up there on the Twitter page, David, me wearing a tech fan podcast t-shirt. Uh, I saw that. Had it made from the logo. Uh, I had this deal. Um, I get, I got this email and this company, basically you pay for shipping. They'll send you three shirts and shipping was five bucks. So I basically paid five bucks and I got three shirts. I uploaded the tech fan logo in high quality. Uh, I got the little preview and literally three days later I had these t-shirts. And I like them. I think they're very cool. If we get enough uh, people requesting T-shirts, David, we could actually put up a page and people could buy them. So if you guys would be interested in a T-shirt, a tech fan T-shirt, and you want to see what it looks like, just go to our Twitter page, scroll down a little bit, and you will see me in my tech fan T-shirt. And uh, if you want to order one, hit us up on email or Twitter. If I get enough people, I'm going to say at least 10 to 15 people that would yeah. like to order a tech fan t-shirt. I will, uh, I'll turn on the floodgates and open it up and let you order one. Cool. I mean, we're not going to make any money cool. from it. You know, I'll, Oh, obviously, you obviously know. not. No. no, but it's all right because you'll have that lucrative book deal. Going, book deal. So, Ab- uh, absolutely. So you'll be covered that way. Yeah. That's right. Stephen King will invite me over to <laughs> and dinner. And the, the movie, the movie rights. Well, I was thinking, I, I'd rather go Netflix at this point, David. I, I think that, yeah. you know, yeah, I want to go new media with, with my, uh, with fair my enough. Book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, David, I'll see you next week. See you then.